Welcome to the podcast of Inspiring Women in Hospitality. I'm Noreen Ahmed, your host. Each episode, I invite a woman from the hospitality industry to share her story with us, why she got into hospitality, her journey so far, her learnings, and who inspires her. On this episode, we hear from Catherine, recorded in February 2023. She shares her journey of journalism from the music industry to hospitality, where she found the people to be more welcoming, and so she stayed. We're now recording. Hello, everyone. Noreen here. Today I have with me Catherine. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Oh, so I'm five foot four. I enjoy long, <laughs> enjoy long walks in <laughs> the country. Uh, I'm snuggling by the fire. <laughs> I love that. That's the best intro I've had in a long time. <laughs> And uh, and I also do uh, PR. I'm a co-founder at a hotel B2B PR company called New Dog PR, who are based in the UK, but have a global reach, which always sounds very sinister. And um, how did you get into the hospitality world in the first place? Um, so I started out, I started out as um, uh, studying journalism and I then became a paparazzi photographer for a little while, helped fund my way through university. Um, so really people shred before you put anything in your bin. Um, and uh, I carried on doing that for a little while. And then I did that for a little bit in New York from time to time. Um, and then I ended up working for, well, I had been working already for the music press when I was at university. And before I went to university, um, that being my first love, um, I discovered that I was very bad at that. Um, and so really you should avoid any kind of thing where you're, where you're really terrible at it. I still like going to gigs, but it's not so much fun describing them. It turns out and I'm not very good at it, but, um, I then worked for the FT for a long time and by a long time at that age, I mean, it's all three years. Um, and then eventually I ended up on nine 11, in fact, being offered a job in the hospitality sector, working for B2B publications, um, for a publisher in the South of England. Um, the people who, for people who've got a long memory, bring you or bought you hotel reports report and the still existing MNC report which covers the restaurant sector and so I washed up there and I ended up staying there and in the sector for uh, for as long as you now know me um it proved a gripping place to work um it's been uh, an exciting time during that period for the hotel sector in particular it's seen it become more of an asset class mm-hmm. um it's moved on from being you know somewhere where if you owned the hotel you had to make all the beds now you can have private equity people now you can own a hotel you don't even need to know where it is it's amazing um and we've seen the rise of the brands and the growth of you know sort of sale and lease back which has facilitated that so it's really been a, a hugely thrilling time to be working in a sector which is now much more front and center for investors mm. um and then a couple of years ago i uh formed new York pr with my business partner emily um and we have a marvellous time selling that story to investors around the world. And they all seem quite interested to hear about it, which is extraordinary considering that, you know, for one of the oldest industries in the world, uh, really there was no interest in it at all for ages and ages and ages. Mm-hmm. And now it's completely viable. Can you imagine? Yeah. 
No, I've also seen that change, that shift, you know, from, you know, hotels really being seen as a viable asset class to invest in, you know, even though it is often the most complex real oh, estate. Easily, easily the most complex real estate you can possibly imagine. And there's so many things that can go wrong and then they do go wrong. <laughs> and it's, it always makes me think of sort of like farming. Farmers are very whiny and I'm not saying the hotel sector is very whiny, but there's always, if something can go wrong, in farming, it will do. And in hotels, everything affects everything badly. Bad weather, changes in the calendar, you know, changes in festival dates. It's all, oh my God. And yet, and yet you can still make, you know, mother tons of money off it. So. Yeah, there's always a stream of income coming through, isn't there, for, for the hotels? Yes, I'm not sure I'd own a hotel myself. Would you own a hotel yourself? I think it would depend where. And where would you have to I have no idea. I'm still trying to figure out where, where I'm supposed to be going next. So <laughs> I think where I should own a hotel is an even bigger question for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe not now. <laughs> Sometime in the future, perhaps. Um, so obviously, you know, you, you said, you know, music wasn't, wasn't your thing, but you found that hospitality was your thing. What was it about hospitality that made you, you know, I guess, stick around for as long as you have? Um, well, it's an interesting it's an interesting sector. I can write about it more easily than I could write about music. Um, and um, the people that you meet in it are much more pleasant than the people in the music industry and much less likely to be off their faces on coke. So, <laughs> so it's best not to, you know, not universally, obviously, but <laughs> it's best not to combine, you know, what, as they say, it's best not to combine one's hobbies with one's professional life. So I'd much rather stand around in a dark room with my feet covered in kind of aging cider, tapping my foot along and drinking out of a plastic glass in the leisure market. Professionally, it's better, I think, when people are properly dressed. So I've, I enjoy the hotel sector. It's, it's small and welcoming and there are very few assholes. <laughs> uh, I agree. One of the things that people do consistently say about hospitality industry is the people that you meet whether you know working with them or even the guests that you're meeting it's it's the people that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis that makes it very enjoyable fun and yeah welcoming I think that there's this thing about being hospitable to one another that just you know encourages the industry to be just that extra bit more inviting exactly and it's small enough that if there are any bad actors which any industry will attract they tend to get weeded out quite quickly because uh, we all gossip because it's the most gossipy of all of the sectors as far as I've been able to assess oh really so, <laughs> so really that anything happens it all comes around in a sort of you know two to three weeks and then oh did you know they did this and they, oh no my goodness I'll talk to them anymore then no I can't talk to them anymore so it's very good. So if it, you know, if it gets to the size of the office sector or something like that, maybe things will change. But at the moment, it's very good with self-policing. Good. Yeah, and it is one of the oldest, you know, sectors in the uh, industries in the world, isn't it? Um, and and it's needed, right? People will always travel. People will always need a place to stay, depending on you know what brings them to which location for whatever reason that may be. Exactly, exactly. Though I think the particularly the highly branded sector um, does make the mistake in assuming that it is the first choice for where people yeah. want to stay. <laughs> it's really people will stay where they have friends and family uh, first, and then if they have to, they will stay in a hotel. And there's, I think, some question around that from time to time. But usually they work it out in the end. Yes, they do.
Um, and, you know, what brought you into studying journalism? Um, when I was at school, we had to, I went to a, a church school and we had to write um, a, a, like a report on, I can't remember if it was the wedding at Cana or something else, mm. but in the style of a newspaper um, report and I wrote it and my RE teacher put at the bottom very good you should be a journalist and I thought oh, I'll do that then. okay, <laughs> okay. Absolutely... <laughs> I'll send it that story but yeah sounds about right <laughs> see I think I probably had exactly the opposite reaction when we had that exercise to write in the style of a newspaper I think my teachers and my dad who hoped me who hoped that I would one day become a journalist um Realized I was not a very good writer, so that was not to be a career choice for not me. To be a journalist. <laughs> no, but I ended up choosing hospitality because it still had that element of being international, multicultural. You know, that was something that I was always drawn to because of just the upbringing that I had. You know, moving around so many different countries, you know, mm. living in so many different countries from such a young age, and you know, coming from a multicultural family also it was just natural that I was going to be in this kind of industry that, you know, has so much diversity, not only yeah. in the people that you're interacting with, but also the careers, you know, sometimes you can start in one area, but then you can go to others. And also the industry itself has evolved so much, you know, over the last, you know, however many years, but just in the lifetime that I've been in it so far, you know, we've seen a lot of changes happen already, which is really great to see. I mean, when I was starting out, you know, re-management was just coming to the forefront, you know, and mm. look at where it's gone now and how technology has now overtaken it and, you know, where we're seeing it um, come out of the other end too. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. so it's continually fascinating and, and very awkwardly mobile. Look at that nice Keith Bar, you know, started on the ground. <laughs> That's right. And hasn't, and hasn't aged throughout the, throughout the process. So you can have all that career progression and it has no impact on your skin. Apparently not. <laughs> so you can't say that in every industry. No, <laughs> but the one thing I do hear um, time to time again, it is perhaps because it's a 24 seven business when it comes to like, you know, staffing it and making sure that you have enough labor, it does become challenging. And, you know, something that we've talked about in the past is like, how do you ensure that you attract women to stay within the hospitality industry and see it as a viable career option? You know, I think you know, I've met with companies who work with industries to improve the workplace for women, but hospitality is just not on their radar at all, because I do feel it's perhaps a bit too complex. You know, a 24-7 business is hard to manage, but I still think we should start thinking about how to address, you know, the industry as a whole in terms of how you're staffing it, how do you attract labor into the industry, and then also how do you make sure that you attract women to the industry and make it seem like an industry that they can have a long-term career in it mm. well I think that's true for for everyone not just women um I used to as a student work in pubs obviously and um and I enjoyed it very much and would almost have stayed um working behind the bar in various locations the pay hadn't been so crappy but it's so you know the hours are not if you want to see your friends they have to come to the pub um, and it's it's not attractive for anyone I don't mm. think in that environment and it needs to be just more flexible you can't always be doing Friday night you can't always be doing Friday and Saturday and and that kind of thing so I think that that flexibility that the other industries now have and demand is something that hospitality really needs to work out how it works that out whether it's technology or or just having much much more flexible 
timetables and rotors is um is uh something that that we need to work on because you know there's no one working in it at the moment and that's not going to get any better <laughs> is it so yes but as for the the women bit yes obviously the impact of that is is even higher if you're a, a woman mm. that has you know children and dependents and dogs and things that operate in a kind of traditional timetable during mm -hmm. the day and how has your career affected your life and your flexibility have you always been able to choose how you work when you work um how has that been for you I haven't always been able to choose that um but as uh, I've always mostly always been freelance so you do have that choice in as much as you can work less and earn less if you want to be more flexible which seems to be the trend for most industries even now as far as flexibility goes it has to come as we saw a couple of years ago I think Google made this thing they said yeah you can be flexible but you get paid less um and that's still the offset isn't it that you can be paid less because you don't have to work those days therefore you won't be working those days you can get paid less um so that was always always the case for me um and obviously I could work more before I had a child in different times um now I'm still I still work from home and I'm lucky that the job that I have is very flexible um that's not true for most of the people in operations in hotels and it's not true for a lot of the investors who we deal with and people like that they have still have to be in at a certain time doing a certain thing um so personally I've been very lucky being very flexible but you do you know journalists don't earn a load of money because what we do isn't it's not particularly skillful um <laughs> so so you know it's not I don't you know I and I wouldn't want to be rummaging around in people's brains with scalpels or anything like that but um you know those things get tend to get paid more capitalism isn't perfect but journalists at least get paid the pitiful amount that we do for a reason so I guess the question is why be a journalist it's so fun <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so fun why wouldn't you um so yeah you get to you get to be you get to know things before other people um and you have an excuse to ask questions to people and they have to answer you most of the time so if you're a curious individual um it's the job for you maybe I should have been a journalist <laughs> well you know the chat GPC is out there helping with oh, helping gosh. with the writing so all you need to know is, is all you need to have is enthusiasm for asking questions yes then perhaps there is a future for me after all exactly and I wanted to meet all the all the pop stars who I liked I didn't realize until afterwards um that you can meet them anyway but at that point I thought it was a good way in which is um, why you shouldn't get 15 year olds to choose your careers for you no I mean honestly it's so young right at 15 even 18 I think sometimes it's that's too young to choose what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I think that's a huge life decision to make at too young an age. Completely, completely. Because you make all these kind of ridiculous decisions. So, <clears throat> Or the other thing to also think about is, you know, even if you've made that decision, it doesn't mean it has to be like that forever, right? Like you can, you know, a couple of years down the line, go and choose something else for yourself once you know yourself better. Um, and have experienced the world a little bit more <laughs> yes yeah and I think that we're lucky in that the sort of you know that we there's not lucky that there's no jobs for life but lucky in that kind of mentality has moved on a bit now so yes you can think well you know maybe I'll get into 
I think most of my friends have changed careers into all sorts of unimaginable things, engineers and things like that. Mm. And so coming back to your hospitality um, exposure and all the questions you've asked and all the interviews you've done and, you know, being in the know, uh, what are some of the, you know, biggest changes and shifts that you've seen over your career? I mean, you've mentioned a little bit at the beginning in terms of, you know, the asset class and, you know, investors and things like that. But um, could you go into a bit more details? Um, well, I think one of the so that's been very interesting, obviously, if you're an asset class, but alongside that, we've seen the the rise of the brands. And, you know, now if you go onto any kind of large branded operator website, most of the time, they don't even bother to list them all anymore. There's so many. And I know there's too many brands. Um, it's a big thing. But I think what we're seeing at the moment um, is with the kind of the battle against distribution versus operation, um, which is where we are, um, that there's you're seeing all these brands that will maybe have to move into the consumer end of things to compete because um, they're obviously their their brands for the owners at the moment. But if you're going to compete with the big distribution houses, then you need to create a consumer brand. Um, and I think the sector is going to have to come to the conclusion at some point about whether they create consumer brands because at the moment they're not consumer brands. Obviously, we, we all know that no one can pick them out from a lineup, I guess, Travelodge or something like that. But but can they and can do they have that knowledge? Because being a consumer brand is very different from just being a brand for investors. Um, and can they do that? And will they do that? And if they go down that road, will we, you know, will they all have to combine? Will you have to have a hundred brands? Will we see, will that be what drives the next spate of mergers, the need to create these all-in-one brand houses so that you can be that that Kit Kat or that vacuum cleaner or that, you know, GlaxoSmithKline? Um, of the hotel sector so I'm enjoying watching whether they think they're going to need to be consumer brands because they're all kind of dancing around the edge a bit at the moment this kind of gradual realization that mm -hmm. you might need to appeal to the consumer at some point um, <laughs> it's, just, it's a tricky thing for the hospitality sector to admit that it doesn't appeal to the consumer but I think it's sort of edging that way if only because of the competitive forces that are acting on it mm -hmm. so that's interesting I find yeah, that interesting definitely and so tell me a little bit more about, you know, starting this um, business, your own business, uh, New Dog PR, so the inspiration behind it and what you're doing. Um, well, Emily Newman and I had been thinking about ways that we could work together for a long time. We're quite a good fit. She's very strategic. Um, she is a lot nicer than I am. Uh, and so, <laughs> so we thought that it would be interesting to combine forces um and create something um and we eventually talked ourselves into doing it and seeing what the opportunity was out there so we spoke to some people who we were friendly with in the sector who weren't going to necessarily shoot us down and found out that there was demand for what we were doing and so we did it um it's that it sounds simple now but it was simple at the time as well so i can recommend doing simple things we are but simple people and um yeah. And since then, we've um, been very lucky in that we work with people who we like to work with. Um, we if we're interested, we don't do an awful lot of uh, customer acquisition, fortunately, again. But it's we tend to work with people who whose ideals we agree with and who are fun and interesting people to work with, because if it's not stimulating for us, it's not going to be interesting for anyone else. Um, and we're very lucky with our roster of clients that they're all pretty interesting people doing pretty interesting things. So yeah, happy times. And what are you doing for those clients? 
Uh, it's mostly raising their profile so that investors will invest in them and so that they can expand. That tends to be pretty universally the plan. So we don't do consumer facing PR. We wouldn't know what to do. I can't be describing, you know, infinity pools all day. I, you know, we did have a client who renovated some reception <laughs> areas. Can you write us a press release about this? We'd no, no. So it's nice, nice and red. So I have been reading Architectural Digest more recently to try and inform myself more about these things. Um, but, um, but, but yes, that's just, I did, and I got a black polo neck um, to try and feel more that way inclined. And it's very interesting, it's very interesting what everyone's up to architecturally wise. Um, but yes, but mostly what we do is in terms of profile raising within the sector. So, you know, if you sit around on 50 million, where shall I deploy that 50 million? Oh, I've heard of them. So yeah, money, money-based PR. Yeah. Sometimes I do wonder, you know, you know, announcing that you've got a new infinity pool, like who actually cares about that? It's yes, there are feats of engineering and a bit weird when you're in them. So I can see how it would be interesting, but there's plenty of PR companies out there who are more than happy to talk about your infinity pool and what influences you have and and all that kind of thing. But we tend to be much more on the what some would see as the more intensely dull side of the the industry, the industry of hotels, which is, you know, it's the more interesting side. It's where you see more evolution. But it's where the innovation is happening, I think. And you said something, you know, for these investors, you know, they're looking to expand, you know, and I always ask myself this question about businesses, you know, you've got a successful business, you're obviously doing well, you know, why is there a need to constantly think bigger and expanding and growing? And, you know, if you're already doing well, why do you need to change that? Can you not be satisfied with what you have? Uh, well, that's a bigger question. Um, but I, I always, at times like these, think about SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, I don't know if you ever used to watch SpongeBob, um, but or still watch it. I believe it's still going. Um, but in the first movie that they did with David Hasselhoff, the um, so SpongeBob works in a in a um, like a like a burger joint. I guess the word I'm looking for, the Krabby Patty. And uh, so it's good to see, you know. it's children people are showing that you can have you know a responsible job and be a sponge at the same time um and the the owner of the Krabby Patty Mr Krabs opens a second Krabby Patty next door to the initial one like a big two over it and they have an interview with him on the telly and they say so why are you opening you know the second Krabby Patty it's right next door to it and he says oh for the money and I'm like oh okay no but really so no nope, for the money it's just for the money uh and that's that's his theme all the way through and I think that's why they expand yeah. So, or just just because they can or they want to or they're curious or but yes but often in the hotel sector if you have like a very specific good product expansion isn't always your friend uh, when as far as quality goes is it so we've all seen particularly in the boutique sector mm-hmm. of course it's going really well I've got 20 in it's shit so and also in, in the restaurant sectors, you know, I remember all the, you know, these little uh, pop-ups in, you know, Brixton Market from Honest Burger to Franca Mancas, you know, they they go big, yeah. they get bought out, private equity, and then you just, you lose the consistency and yeah. the the quality across the board, so. Yes, pretty much every single time. <laughs> it's almost like they don't understand, well, maybe that's the model. 
which is why my question is why do we always have this desire or need to expand as if that is your measure of success but yeah mm-hmm. I, mean, I think it's the money important. That's what it is. <laughs> I think that's I think that's what it is and um I mean you you've worked as a freelancer all your life so you've obviously had to you know market yourself you know for for most of your career and then you know starting your own business um was that scary starting your own business or was it quite easy because you've always kind of had to market yourself as a freelancer uh yeah so it really just feels like more of the same Mm. um do more it's kind of more actual pitching and things like like grown-ups with this whereas with with freelance journalism it's just it's like a a venn diagram of all the people that you know so if you're you know looking for a bit of work you get in touch with someone else who's working somewhere else who you know through this and it's all about the network um it is obviously for this as well that then there's sort of more a- actual pitching um which is kind of you know it's interesting but um yes in in journalism I went to, to I studied journalism at university and so most of the people that I knew from there went on to become journalists and then the network grows and then you work on one publication and you know all the people there and you know if you need someone to do this you know that they're available and there's you know almost no CVs or anything like that happen it's all network so so anyone out there who wants to be a journalist um don't go and study it in some remote location because it won't do you any favors at all because it's all about the people you meet that was going to be my next question if you if you were to you know advise someone who wants to become a journalist what what to do so go to a good university and network and and actually do it I don't think you need to go to university because as previously mentioned it's not much of a skill um uh, compared to other things <laughs> so it's it's all about the work experience and I was writing and and doing fanzines and stuff like that from when I was a teenager so I've always been out there doing it and photocopying the pages and selling them at gigs and, and all that sort of thing so you do just do it is the thing with journalism there's no I know lots of particularly in the US there's a a kind of a a drive to to study it and be very serious about it and you know think about the art and the history and those kinds of things are interesting um but that's not how you get to be a journalist so (laughs) you get to be a journalist by doing it and that's and that's how and it's easy enough to do these days with all this kind of citizen journalism and twitter and and that kind of stuff um but you know, do it and then then do it quite well because there's people people out there who think they are journalists on those kind of platforms who are not. So yes, I remember I'd interviewed someone uh, for the podcast in Thailand, uh, Women Trust. She started her own like hotel publication because she was looking for a platform to advertise her uniform business. So oh yeah, so she just okay. She's like, okay, there's nothing there, so let me just do it. Um, very yeah, see, just, and the great thing about journalism is there's like almost no morals so you don't have to think you know maybe I shouldn't do this if I'm just selling uniforms maybe there's no you know eth- that's not saying that unethical but um but, you know you can just just you know just check your morals you'll sleep better as well um so it's all good and um for yourself personally you know besides the you know, industry side of things of learnings and takeaways, what have you learned about yourself personally, you know, things that we know about ourselves today, we didn't know five years ago, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, you know, something that I've been grappling with over the last 
year or so has changed. You know, I've made a lot of big changes in my life and I've always been very scared of doing those, some of those changes, but I've realized that, you no, know, you can survive them and you can overcome them and, you know, good things can lie at the other end. So what are some of your um, key learnings? Um, I guess, so when I was a child, I was very shy um, and like very shy, like hiding behind the chair shy. Um, and you, obviously you can't be a journalist and and do that. So I think that you learn how much of you is capable of acting and how much of a front you can put on and get away with it and things like that until eventually, this is going to sound very sinister, until eventually it becomes the real you. Um, but until, you know, it's that kind of fake it till you make it thing, isn't it? So I can remember going to um, hotel conferences at the start of my time in the sector on my own. Um, I remember particularly going to the Rome, the old Rome conference on my own and looking down from my balcony at all the people gathering at the, the drinks reception and thinking, oh, my God, I have to go down there. I can't just hide in my room. I'm going to have to go down there. And obviously, once you've got a drink, it's fine. But it's that tricky kind of, you know, pre-chemical reaction phase where, if we hit, you know, presumably I should have done a load of shots in my room. It's uh, sad that I've only realised that just now, but <laughs> but uh, but like getting over that, and I remember going down there and and meeting somebody in the sector who's now a good friend, and they just came up to me and they're like, you know, oh, guys, I just hate this. I hate talking to people. I hate these things. I was like, welcome, welcome. You know, we all hate it to a different level. But that kind of making becoming more, I guess, becoming more confident is a is a learning for mm -hmm. most people at different levels because you know some people start out. That they can just you know we all know those kids who are six and will go up to a stranger and talk to them um but that wasn't me and learning that I think that's been the biggest thing having that confidence to just go and talk over crap at people which is all it is isn't it really <laughs> it comes down to it so yes but hopefully they'll never take alcohol away from these these um gatherings <laughs> I'm afraid the whole industry will collapse in on itself <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember the first few times I went um, to like Berlin was was a standout for me. And I was just complete in shell shock, you know, like I didn't know yeah. where I was going, what I was doing, who I was talking to. Um, I was extremely nervous. So over the years, it's taken me a while also to build the confidence to have, you know, to go up to people and to start talking to them. Um, and yeah, build, a, build that network. Um, mm -hmm. and build you, that network. you just wander into a room being the only person uh yeah I've been better at it now I think also having this podcast you know inspiring women in hospitality it's given me that purpose and drive to go forward and introduce myself um I've been to events on my own and now in the past and also where I know people but then also with an objective to know more people so recently I was in mm -hmm. Bangkok and I attended the Thailand tourism forum and yes I knew a handful full of people but you know I was trying to also organize an event at the end of two weeks, I had 10 days to like pull it all together. So I was like really on a mission in a way that I have never been before with no venue, no time, just a date <laughs> and maybe one or two people I knew who could. <laughs> and I ended up having 11 of us there, which was amazing. And it's just by sending that message, doing the follow-ups, asking people for introductions even when I felt uncomfortable about it and just, just doing it. Cross-necking it. Yes. Just doing it. See, it's a thing. It's a thing. You can see how Nike have been pushing it for so many oh, years. God. Yes. Oh my God. 
that they are a, an amazing story i i read the or I, I should say i listened to the the book um shoe dog during one of the lockdowns uh yeah how they bootstrapped that business and started it going from the very beginning is is incredible to you know where they got to um in the end but having those amazing taglines is just yeah oops it helps all right and i am going to move on to my final question and ask you who inspires you who inspires me um yeah i thought about this obviously because you did send me the questions which allowed me the opportunity to think about it um so it's it's tricky isn't it because we look increasingly up to kind of role models and then increasingly um we're more judgmental of them than we should be as people um and you find that people fall by the wayside don't you so it's kind of you know, you can think about like your Ruth Bader Ginsburg's and she you did nothing wrong. Obviously, I've got nothing but time for Ruth Bader Ginsburg and she's achieved a lot. But, you know, it's it's to come back to the women thing. I think it's interesting, those kind of inspiring figures, because they've been facilitated by men. People say, you know, well, that's great. Her husband was very supportive. And so she did what well, I'm not taking anything away from her story, um, but she was still allowed to do that by men. So it's kind of an interesting to look at the wider picture and the inspirational figures. Um, I prefer to look at the actions. So I, you know, she did brilliantly as a in individual, whether I would take inspiration personally from how she lived her life, it's hard to do because you weren't there and you don't know these people. Um, but, you know, I've been inspired by various writers over the years, your PG Woodhouse's and your Hunter S. Thompson's, um, they're that, that kind of style of journalism isn't totally appropriate to the hotel sector, thank goodness. Um, but, but you can only really be inspired by the people who you actually know, mm. I think. And so I would say at this point, I'm very inspired by Emily. As I said, she's a much better person than I am. Um, she's, you know, she, she sees the good in people than I do. She's much more reasonable and able to deal with them. I'm much more, you know, if somebody pisses me off, I'm reaching for my lump hammer. Um, so, which is not always the way to deal with things. So I do feel that I learn from her. And I think if you're going to be inspired by people, um, then you need to be learning learning from them in that way. So anyone who can kind of do the things that I can't do or find difficult to do myself is of course inevitably an inspiration. Um, so yes, I'd be I'd say at the moment the most inspiring person that I come into contact with is Emily. That's fantastic, and it's good that you've gone into business with her. Then thank goodness, isn't it though? It's like a well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today, Catherine. Thank you for asking. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you were as inspired as I was by that story. Please follow us here and on LinkedIn where I post videos of the recordings. Stay tuned for many more stories of inspiring women in hospitality.